You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, please let me see your ticket steps for the double-edged double bill. This week, Max Foncito opens the seventh seal by order of Judge Dredd. week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin-yang of a double feature. Then, both left to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. And I am Thomas Mariani, or, as people would probably say in Sweden, Bursty Bursty Burk Burk Burk. And I am Adam Thomas, and I am the law? Law! No, you gotta say it best right. part of the world. Best part of the world. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that yeah. in a bit. Uh, but welcome for those of you who are especially new to the show. Uh, basically, if you're unfamiliar, every week Adam and I uh, pick a random uh, double feature for us to discuss the, the following week. Um, so one of us has two good movies, and one of us has two bad movies, and uh, then we end up with a good and bad film for a double feature. And we don't always, you know love doing this, but we definitely like to celebrate an actor at the same time who might have passed. And in mm-hmm. this case, we are celebrating Max von Sydow, who is one of the more storied actors of his generation, or any generation, really, considering he worked pretty much from 1949 until he died in 2020. Like 71 years. Yeah. That's fucking wild. And, he, you know, the thing is, he lived a long life, too. Like, it's not like uh, he wasn't tragically taken young or, you know, something like that. He lived to an old age. I, I don't know, Adam. 90's so young these days. He could have been 147. That's true. I mean, I'll be lucky if I make it to 38. <laughs> <laughs> what can you say that hasn't been said already? I mean, the guy, he's so iconic, even just his pose from The Exorcist. You know, standing outside of the house with the light beaming on him. Everybody knows that shot. Or any, everyone also knows a certain shot from one of the movies we're talking about. It's like one of the most yeah. iconic shots in cinematic history. Yeah, um, Judge Dredd, man. I know, cool. right? Yeah, that <laughs> shot where he's just staring at people. Yeah, and just, he's just like, staring at people. I can't believe I'm doing this. Oh, yeah. Dredd. You're uh, right. <laughs> uh, but, uh, so where do you remember discovering Van Cito for the first time? Was it The Exorcist? Jeez, oh, I'm trying to think of the first time. Damn, damn, hold on, Thomas. You put me on the spot again. <laughs> I have, I've had like zero time. To do research, <laughs> I know it sounds funny because there's nothing going on, but like there's enough going on. Try to keep my kid entertained, myself entertained. Right for, for for those in the future. Once again, we are recording this in the middle of the the COVID nineteen uh, quarantining and such. So um, I, I don't get why you wouldn't have done so much research at all. <laughs> <laughs> it was hard enough just to watch the movies. Uh, oh no, dude! It was um, Dune. He was Doctor Kynes, and then right. also it was Conan, where he's the king. Uh, oh, it was he's those so great two. Fucking Conan. But oh yeah, it's fucking fantastic. what strength, what arrogance! I salute you. So but it's good. definitely it's definitely either one of those two. And I remember watching it then. Uh, I, I, it was probably Conan then because my dad told me, like, yeah, he was in this movie called The Exorcist, and they made him look really old to the point where people thought he was that age, and that just blew my mind. I'm like, what? 
So I kind of knew about The Exorcist. And then when I finally saw The Exorcist, yes, it scared the absolute tits off my back. But he was fantastic in it. He was a consummate force. And I, I always followed him. He, to me, it was like him and Christopher Plummer. I always followed them. And, you know, they're, they're two of the greatest of all time, two of the greatest old school actors. Yeah, I mean, it sucks he went, but at least we have just this huge library of films that you can still watch and enjoy. And you can, like we kind of said last week, you can track the history of film through his filmography. Uh-huh. Especially considering uh-huh. so many different countries, like obviously starred in Sweden, in Bergman movies. And you kind of, you mentioned this with The Exorcist, that that was kind of a movie where he looked older for the sake of the makeup. But in that case, it was like such a recognizable thing that he got kind of got cast as older people. I even yeah. um, watched them, um, because I have the Criterion channel... Which is how I watched one of the films we're talking about. Of course, Um, and there was a great special feature where, like, a film historian guy was like talking about Max von Sydow's like history, and he brought up the fact that um, somebody saw him in a play when he was young. He was like twenty four in this play, and like I said, the forties is when he started acting. And they said, "I could not believe that man was in his twenties because he eternally feels like he's 40. Right. Even at that point. Which is like, there's he brought so much strength and dignity to any of his parts that he kind of had this authoritarian power, but at the same time, a, a sweetness and a humanity whenever mm-hmm. he could. I think it's the blue piercing eyes. I think that's the big thing. Oh, yeah, and that damn voice of his. What a just a great speaking voice he had. Which, speaking of which, I didn't discover this until I was doing research for the show. He was the voice of Vigo the Carpathian in Ghostbusters 2. I never knew that until researching also uh, the limited research I did for this show. I was like, get the fuck out of here. And I, because I, I've been watching those movies forever. I've seen Ghostbusters 2 a thousand times. Never once did I catch on that it was Max von Sydow. I, like, I watched a clip afterward, like, oh, that's obviously Max von Sydow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I never put clearly, it yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's not what's his face who actually played him. It was also in the Math of Madness. That, fucking, that fucking guy. Yeah. That weird guy. That, that guy yeah. has a really interesting life. Look him up. Anyway, <laughs> but, but Max von Sydow. Um, I think, though, the first time I probably saw him in anything, given that I'm younger, was probably Minority Report. That's the villain. That Tom Cruise faces against. It's a good movie. I it's like very that good movie. movie, and he's yeah. very good in it because he, he he kind of that's a great example of kind of straddling that line of being like sort of a uh, dominating authority figure, but appearing at least very kind and genteel initially. Um, admittingly, the twist is pretty easy because like, oh, Max von Sydow's a villain. No, <laughs> right, exactly. No, <laughs> I can't believe it. Um, then again, when he shoots Colin Farrell though in that movie, it's pretty fucking dope yeah i mean it's not like it's completely by surprise but when it does happen it's still a bit of a shock yes yes uh but we're not here to talk about any of those films we just mentioned uh we are here to talk about two specific films that, as i mentioned were picked at the end of last week uh first we have the seventh seal ingmar bergman picture uh which was my good pick and then we had the bad pick of judge dread from 1995 as we've referenced several times uh but let's first get into the seventh seal
So, The Seventh Seal came out February 16th, 1957, and, as I mentioned, was directed by Ingmar Bergman, also written by him. And admittingly, Adam, uh, before this week, I'd never seen a Bergman film. I think this might be the only Bergman film I've seen. Uh, I watched this and also on the Criterion Collection streaming mm-hmm. service. Um, I watched uh, The Virgin Spring. <laughs> right. And The Virgin Spring, um, for those of you who don't know, is like the original uh, rape revenge movie. Um, yeah. That that um, Wes Craven was infamously inspired to make Last House on the Left with. Which, when you watch the movie, it is very much the basic bones of that earlier movie. Wes Craven obviously was just like, hmm, what does this need? Wacky cops. Yeah. That's what this movie needs. Basically. And chainsaws. And, and um, chainsaws. Um, but no, yeah, I had never seen Bergman before. This, It's kind of daunting, you know, when you hear about Ingmar Bergman and his typical style for, like, somebody who was, like, more raised on genre fare like myself. I'm just like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, but is it going to be, like, too artsy for me to reach? We love to have this dynamic on the show where I like the artsy craft of, of cinema, and, and you're more of, like, the boorish pig in terms of our usual dynamic. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. That's what we usually do. But, you motherfucker. <laughs> but, I like, obviously, like, I still love, like, a lot of the genre films we talk about, and I also can be intimidated, especially by, like, sort of artsier cinema. It's just like, oh, man, am I... Are my sparts being overreached? Can I possibly grasp this whatsoever? But really watching both those movies, um, at least from just those two movies, what I like about Bergman is that despite sort of having like these artsier pretensions, um, he also has very humanist dramas at their center, which is, I think, very much the case with The Seventh Seal. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had seen this one before, but I hadn't seen it since then, other than, you know, the obvious last action hero bit with Ian McKellen. But I always remember it like, really kind of fucking with me and always remember thinking it looked better than the time it came out. Like the way it shot the, the use of shadow, the score, everything. I'll be damned if it still doesn't feel that way to me. Like I watched it this morning, you know, cause I, like I said, you know, I needed a good pick me up. So to make me feel better. So I figured that, yeah, it's about the seventh seal. And I actually purchased it in HD and uh fuck is this movie just fantastic, fantastic looking and just so just brilliantly acted. It's just fucking fantastic. Yes, um, and uh, for those of you who might not be familiar, uh, The Seventh Seal is basically, it's a, like I mentioned, a film from 1957 from Ingmar Bergman, so it's a Swedish film, it's in Swedish. You gotta read them subtitles. It's basically the story of this knight who is uh, just off of the Crusades, who's traveling along with uh, his squire, and as they... Um, bound along, um, trying to like sort of find some kind of connection. Mainly, he's the knight is trying to get back to his castle where his wife is and has been for several years while he's out doing the crusades. Uh, the knight has uh, some sort of like existential crisis that leads to him literally confronting a personification of death, and he often plays chess with him. As we kind of obliquely referenced earlier, um, you've seen at least five movies that have parodied the concept of playing chess with death. That is yeah, such I mean. an indelible image that says so much. And what was so interesting watching it, having not seen this movie before, is that that initially happened, especially the shot of him encountering death on the beach and them starting to play chess, is in the first, like, five minutes of the movie. Oh, yeah, it gets right to it. Like, it gets right to you know what's going on. Yeah, which almost threw yeah. me off. I'm like, oh, wow, so there's more after this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, they're, they're, the movie isn't just this the whole time? The probably most famous example is like Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, right? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Sadler, which is an amazing parody, especially now, having actually seen the whole thing. I'm like, oh yeah, it's like, hmm, let's play different board games like Battleship and all this other bullshit. William Sadler, so funny in that movie. But, mm-hmm. 
after that, they still kind of travel around and they encounter, like, a troop of actors, one of which is a husband and wife duo with their baby, um, and also, like, some townspeople who are, um, basically come along for the journey, as they're all kind of, like, wayward souls in a world that feels like it's kind of dispatched, and especially, uh, when a plague is going around and people are pointing fingers and jump into conclusions that aren't maybe that solid, so it has no relation to our modern times. No, oh. not at all. I wish it was more uh, relevant now. I know, yeah. Man, I might have liked it more. Lost its time. Uh-huh. No, but seriously, watching this and realizing that was the plot of this movie, it's like, oh. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, my, my wife came out, and she's like, what are you watching? Seven Seal. She's like, what exactly is that? And she's heard of it, too. But then I explained it to her. She's like, oh, good. That's a perfect movie to watch right now. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But at the same time, there's also some sort of a weird, interesting comfort, especially with Max von Sydow's character. What is so compelling about him, especially, is the fact that he plays this guy who fought in the Crusades, literally, like, the Holy Wars. And he's come back from it completely dismantled about, like, what was the point of any of this? Why did I kill all these people for nothing? And I think it's so perfectly established. There's a great scene, not too long after the opening, where they come upon a church... And the knight starts speaking to what he thinks is a priest in, like, a confessional booth. And I love the fact that we know it's death that whole time, but yeah. you still see, like, him confessing, like, oh my god, I can't believe I did this. Is God there? He never answers back. And all this other stuff. And Von Cito sells it so hard in this movie. It is such a, like, if nothing else, despite sort of the awkward connotations of the timing, it's such a perfect showcase for him, especially at a point where he actually looked young. Like, he's about, what, in his early 30s in this movie yeah dude and he i mean he's so obviously swedish he's just <laughs> he's just so tall and like almost gaunt in the face and just bright blonde hair and blue eyes and even in black and white you can spot all of this stuff oh yeah no it, dude yeah it's you're like holy fuck it's an albina um <laughs> <laughs> but um, no he's absolutely just fantastic in this and it's it's so funny to see him, you know, back in 57 and then to watch, you know, a movie, even like Minority Report, like you brought up. And I mean, the chops are still there. He hasn't lost a beat. I mean, he's just as good. There's a great scene in which also he encounters a woman who they had seen at one point and people said like, oh, she, she had sex with the devil and now she can kind of see him. That whole sequence where they encounter her again and she's about mm -hmm. to be burned on that like ladder pyre thing is my favorite sequence of the whole movie. Because it displays so much about, like, the sort of the thematics of the movie and her saying, look into my eyes, don't you see the devil, don't you see? You're probably going to be horribly tasked with the devil on your shoulders now. And he's just like, I just see fear. I yeah. just see terror. Like, it's just, it's just so much there. And then, especially when she's, like, up on the pyre and his mm -hmm. uh, squire is just like, oh, she, you know, we just see that, that, that realization in her face of, like, oh, there, there's nobody to help her, nobody to protect her at this point. And Vonsito has this face of anguish that's just, like, it's, like, could be construed as like over the top but in this context it's just like very honest and bleak and beautiful the way he performs it oh yeah absolutely it's the look on his face you know just shows that he's probably committed just horrible atrocities in the name of something he's not even sure exists and what is happening now is almost even sort of reaffirming that maybe everything he did this for is for naught and it's you know you just see a man the world crumbling especially at the end like he knows that he's at the end of his life with what's going on and it's uh yeah it's fucking bleak man it's one thing you say about this movie it's bleak 
it is very bleak, but at the same time, I do like that it has certain respites that are, like, very engaging, especially I love the whole sequence where Von Cito is seated down with, like, the actor troop, um, husband, wife, and kid, and they have, like, mm-hmm. the little picnic where they eat strawberries and drink milk, and it's just this weird, very calm, beautifully shot sequence where it's like, oh, hey, we're on this, like, hillside in Sweden, it looks gorgeous, and we're having just a very simple time of, like, coming together, talking about just innocuous stuff, and he even says just, like, you know, this is something that, like, is very innocuous and simple, but I'll treasure it forever. Just this, like, one brief, beautiful respite of a moment. It, it made my heart sore at him, that moment. It was such a touching, small thing that really said so much. I absolutely agree with you. There, there's that one, and there's the moments of levity with the acting troupe. You know, with the guy, you know, seducing, well, if you want to call it seducing, but the other guy's wife. You know, it's it's meant for laughs at that point. Um it's they do definitely beat in moments of levity and i i do gotta say i'm not gonna try to pronounce anybody's name uh any of the actors because nope i'll just do a horrible like swedish chef impersonation if i try to do that i got that uh, out of the way at the beginning yeah so right, good can... for you yeah good for you but uh the one who plays the squire you know like you're defeated he's um excuse me it's the gunner bjordstrand Oh, right. Okay. Sorry to all our Swedish listeners, by the way. <laughs> no, I, they, we don't have any listeners. Um, he, <laughs> he almost steals the movie from me, though. He's really, really good. And I've never seen him in anything else. Obviously, Well, maybe not obviously, but I, I don't think I've ever seen him before. But he's absolutely fantastic in this movie. Does he steal it? No, it's, this is a Mon Cito showcase, but he's really good second man. Yes, I, I do agree with that. I will say I wasn't as big a fan of like his sort of relationship with the mute girl, who I did recognize she is the like main sort of daughter character from the Virgin Spring. So she would later work with Bergman again. Um I, I wasn't a huge fan of like that's my one sort of big issue uh with the movie, is just that they have this like mute character that he meets after he saves her from like nearly getting raped by this guy. And then and, tries to rape her himself. Yeah. And or like, insinuates he, that he could anytime he that, wants to. That he could, yeah. So he's playing, like, admittedly a morally ambiguous character. Uh, but at the same time, then she kind of goes with him and just sort of is, like, a lapdog to him the mm-hmm. whole movie. Not uh, in a way where it's like, oh, you're my slave kind of thing, but more just like, oh, she just kind of follows them around, has no real opinion or say in anything. Um, but at the same time, what I do like about this movie as well is that it kind of examines all these characters in terms of, like, how they interact and how they're people, but also how so many of them... Um, commit sins at any moment like even her there's that whole sequence where the guy who tried to rape her at one point comes up and says i have the plague and then he dies in front of them yeah. and she just kind of sits there as the squire guy's like no there's nothing that can be done you can't do anything don't even give him water it's not gonna work you're gonna get infected and stuff like that there, there's so many great examples like all these characters have massive human flaws that end up getting them succumb to death um, which that actor is also incredible. I would say if anything else, like him acting off of Cedow is so compelling anytime they're together. Oh yeah, dude. And the one scene, you know, near the end of the movie, well, basically is the end when they're all in the castle, they finally reached. And then there's the knock on the door. The squire goes, comes back. There's no one there. And then they all turn and he's just completely cascading in shadow, except for like the lower part of his face. A is such, it looked fucking fantastic. And B it's terrifying. You see a lot of influence for like later horror films, even in this. Oh, yeah, uh, all the way from like Hammer up, like just the way to to light things and cascade it and everything. It's it's a virtual showcase of influences in, in many different ways. 
this is one of many that I've seen, but not as many as I'd like sort of older films, you know, from the pre sixties that looks like it could have been shot today. Right. This feels like it could be like an A24 movie that would come out. <laughs> Thousand percent. Like Robert Eggers would make this. Oh yeah. There's definitely, you can see a lot of Eggers, even like, especially Ooh. any scenes where two characters kind of contained like in this black and white space reminds me so much of lighthouse. Uh-huh. There's so many different, like even framings and bits of sequences and stuff. You can see a lot, which I love doing whenever I like visit something that's old. I've never seen before is you can just see any number of influences, even down to as silly a one as it is sort of the parody of it. There's a scene where a bunch of like, where after this troop is like acting and being jovial and silly, um, a group of Christian extreme worshipers come out and they're like flogging each other and all this other shit. That feels like a scene right out of like one of the Monty Python movies. Oh, yeah, absolutely it does. They are putting these moments of levity in they out, but they don't let you really stick to it. They don't really make it, okay, they're giving us a moment to breathe. It's just, it all feels very natural in the progression of the characters and the story. They let you breathe, but they don't let you settle. Yeah, 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 I guess that's what I mean. To me, it never feels like a distraction. Okay, take a second. Like, it's never, it doesn't feel like that. To, to me, anyways. I don't know. I didn't watch it on the Criterion channel. Well, it was so wonderful. It just had, like, you know, pristine quality, and I, I, I drank my Chardonnay. <laughs> my flaming yawn. Smoke your, smoke your clove of... cigarettes and your extra-long cigarette holder. Yes, no. <laughs> I totally wasn't eating Oreos and drinking iced coffee Blue Moon while I was watching this. My diagnosis needs more subtitles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's great it's down there could it be up there on every corner could it be just like letterbox with subtitles <laughs> could use more violin <laughs> I think what also works really is that this is also a cliche of especially like Criterion level movies of just like it, it feels just like a life doesn't it of just like you're enjoying something you're filled with like some kind, sort of like either big jovial performance you're watching or a quiet moment where you're eating with a bunch of people who you consider friends and then just like you know life hits you in some way something horrible happens or death literally comes to contact you and i love the fact also that the game of chess travels I didn't know yeah. that would be the case. I thought it was just like, oh, is it going to be them at the beach the whole time playing chess? But the fact that it travels is so interesting. It's like you can have these almost close encounters with death, but then it keeps pursuing you at every moment. It's not subtle necessarily, but it's a great like metaphor for just like, oh, you can be you know travel from the beach to a quiet village to the woods, and death is always behind you trying to play a little game of cat and mouse with you yes i'd argue it was done the best in the final destination series of films <laughs> I, I prefer authors like david ellis <laughs> you know max monsanto's great now but he's not from eminem stan video fame devin sawa uh, davin sawa yeah davin sawa yes or sean william scott right who who you'd know as stifler <laughs> in, in the americano pythons <laughs> Oh God! No, I uh, <laughs> I absolutely agree with you. It, it, and like you said, it's not subtle. I mean, it kind of beats your. It doesn't really beat you over the head, but it's right there in front of you. But you got to figure for the time this movie came out, there wasn't really anything really like this. That's true. People in like Sweden at this time were just like, "Bjork, bjork, I can't believe <laughs> all the women are beautiful." <laughs> <laughs> Swedish meat boons. <laughs> I like that they even prefer refer to them sense. as Swedish meatballs. Yeah, they refer to their own meatballs as Swedish meatballs. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. Like we're we're almost intimidated by this movie to some degree, so we it, keep making well, jokes. I, uh, 
No, I, I absolutely am. And it, because it's such, I don't want to, uh, important is very pretentious sounding because I'm not going uh, I mean, to. No, but I mean. it is very important in the history of cinema. You could, like well, we mentioned yes, all the influence in the it's of cinema, Absolutely. And, and I mean, and it's a trendsetter groundbreaker that I'd argue has rarely, if ever, been duplicated. It's been imitated and paid homage to, but I don't think any anyone could take a story as complex as this an idea, you know, that he's meeting the manifestation of death. It's taking place after the crusades. It's, it's all of this stuff, but turn it into almost like a simple character piece. That's the thing. It's why I would say necessarily the story isn't that complex, but the thematics definitely of it are like, you can follow the story pretty pat. Like, I think that's the thing. It's like, you could, this would be a really good introduction to say like a film class, like in a high school or in a college of just like, here is what like Swedish film, a particular classic film. Here's a great example of one you can kind of wrap your head around and kind of be engaged in at the same time. Well, you still, I would say like, I slightly preferred Virgin Spring. Um, nothing else. There's a whole one shot sequence in that movie where Max von Sydow takes down a tree like, they're just like, he's so angry about what happened to his daughter that he fucking pulls the tree out of its roots slowly and then, like, gets all the leaves off so he can bathe in them <laughs> at one point. And it's like one shot of him doing that. It's really amazing. Yeah, I never watched that one, I, and mainly because of the subject matter, but maybe I should give it a try. I mean, it's such a good example of that. Like, it's an early example, obviously, of this sort of rape-revenge idea. It, it's such an early example of this, but it also never strays away from the fact that this is horrible, even what Max von is doing at the same time, and his own revenge. Like, it's such a well-balanced, interesting thing that I'm just like, why did this become a subgenre? This, like, perfected it. Like, we didn't need this to be a subgenre. <laughs> this is, like, the best version of this idea. Right, why are we going to continue to do this and just sleaze it up and make it more gratuitous? And more importantly, add silly fucking southern cops like Wes Craven did yeah and who looks like Andy Samberg um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway back to the seventh seal no I, I, I think you hit it right on the head it's almost an intimidating movie to try to deconstruct and really get into it's almost like you got to take it for what it is at face value a little bit I mean if we want to we could devote a whole episode to just deconstructing seventh seal easily Unfortunately, we don't have that luxury. Uh, a, because I don't feel like killing myself. And, and B, we have a true masterpiece to talk about in a second. <laughs> and B, we have a Sly Stallone flick, uh, also starring uh, Rob Schneider. Uh, uh, but, Rob Schneider. Yeah, Rob, Rob, Rob Schneider. <laughs> of, the, of the German Schneiders. Um, he, no, but this movie, it's, it's very intimidating to talk about. But at face value, if you take it what it is, it's a fantastic character piece it's a really sort of complex morality tale and plus it's you know one of max von Sydow's earliest roles and it just to see he was this good in his 30s as he was in his 90s and it's one of the better looking black and white movies i've ever seen especially cleaned up and that von Sydow carries all that weight still even at that early oh, yeah. age he feels oh. like he's lived so much longer than 30 something in this particular movie also we have we kind of skirted around it but i do really want to compliment um this is such a huge fuck you to the church in such a fascinating way yeah you think igmar bergman had a problem with organized religion i'm not sure i don't know what you're talking about like the scene where all those vloggers come out and the one guy is just like religious shaming everybody <laughs> just like you a sinner you oh a woman pregnant filled with lust oh you're all terrible you're all going to die you should just completely devote yourselves to flocking yourselves like we are it's the only way you'll be saved it's like a more subtle moment but a great moment when um they're carrying that woman um in the cart like all the knights are and uh, they kind of help him out briefly 
and they're like, oh, yeah, so uh, you, you're doing this out of God? And it's like, well, it's a volunteer job. We get paid for it. Oh, yeah, for sure. And especially for this time. I mean, 1957 to, re- to release an almost atheist viewpoint film, or even maybe agnostic would be the better term, but it, it's – it's, I want to say it's anti-religious, but it's like anti-Christian Christianity. It's 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 a heavy fucking movie as far as the subtext, and I mean it's a ballsy, ballsy move, especially in 1957. Right, but what I also like is that it's like anti like religion, but at the same time it's very pro like pure humanist. When like they, it really comes. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. That's what I love. Just like, like the people who are the most sort of like unscathed and wonderful are like the acting troupe couple who had their cute little boy. Love that he's Mikael because of course he's yep. Mikael. <laughs> of course he is. Yeah. By the way, put a diaper on that goddamn kid. Anyways, That's true. Ahead. Yeah, the, the definitely uh, should not just have put him in, naked put as him much in as the as dirt. He's. Just put him in the dirt. Little <laughs> ass crack full of dirt, <laughs> shot full of sand. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I love their interplay too. The couple, especially mm-hmm. like the, the husband who has like these visions and stuff, and she's just like, "Oh, you're so silly." You're just like looking he, up at whatever. He might do the most overacting in the movie. The one who plays the husband. Not that he's bad. No, but like there's certain looks he'll give him and stuff where it, he almost feels like he might have been a silent movie actor at one point. Potentially, yeah, he's definitely like going theatrical, but that works for that character given he is yeah, an it actor, does. like in a very silly troupe. That's the going fucking on. hair of his. Good lord. <laughs> he kind of reminded me of like a Roberto Benigni. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he kind of gave him those vibes. Less annoying. Though at the same time. Oh, yeah, God, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, this guy didn't make Pinocchio next. Um, <laughs> um, but but also like that scene where he's like being forced to like dance on the table in the, in the pub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's going on. I, that's like such a terrifying scene. That's also like an example where like those people aren't necessarily all religious, but they're all kind of swept up in the fear of the plague. Mass hysteria. Yeah. The mass hysteria. And, the mob mentality kind of thing. Right. Yes. You'd notice they weren't fucking throwing toilet paper at him. That shit's gold. Um, it is a rough movie to watch at the times we're in right now. I mean, that if for real, if you, if you take the subtext and everything to heart right now, it's, you're going to have a bad time. <laughs> but if you could just watch it and appreciate it for what it is, just such a groundbreaking film, uh, you know, and only at an hour and a half long. I mean, this movie ends so abruptly. There's no end credits. There's no anything. Just boop over. To the point and, where it was like ending and the way Criterion does their thing is like, oh, this sex video is playing in like 15 seconds. I'm like, hold on, wait. The movie's not yeah, done yet. <laughs> I watched it on Voodoo and it like, as soon as it fades to black, all of a sudden, rate the movie. Did you like it? I'm like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, if you watch it for cinematic purposes and acting purposes, I mean, you're going to be transfixed. Or you're going to be depressed if you watch it for the other reason. But, hey, either way, you're going to feel something watching this movie. No, you definitely feel a lot, for sure. And also, just like some of these amazing shots, like you mentioned, like even at the end of the movie, them dancing up on that hill instead of yeah. like, uh, being roped along by death. That's that's such an amazing shot that I wasn't even aware was in this fucking movie. I've seen that shot also paired. Yeah, with and you know, that's so. not the actor's. Well, what it is, they had an original ending film, and then uh, Bergman saw that those the clouds over the hill, and he, he just like fell in love with it. So he quickly scrapped together and put a bunch of the a bunch of like grips and and people who worked on the film in the costumes. Wow! And they just had them do it, and that became the ending. He filmed it in like ten minutes. It was a one take thing. Wow! So it wasn't Max von Sydow just being like, "I will not go up this hill, sir." No. <laughs> right? Yeah, no, not at all. They had something else done. And he saw that, and he came up with it. He's like, no, nah, I want to do this. And that became the ending. Yeah. Well, um, I guess, unless you have... It's you to learn that on your 
fucking Criterion channel. No, that's true. I, I did not dig deep enough into the plentiful extras on the Criterion channel. Yeah, I was too busy going next to a uh, Naked Lunch. <laughs> I, I do really like like Naked Lunch. Though. Yeah, that's, that's really fucking good. They got a lot of good stuff on my Criterion channel. We're not sponsored, by the way, though. Criterion, please. We would love it. Criteria kind of only puts out good stuff. I mean, they really kind of do. I mean, just really fantastic work. Please sponsor us. We would love it. And let's let's also do ads in our studio voices. <laughs> yeah. Let us, yes, please. You know what would really entrance all of you is the new edition of The Portrait of a Lady on Fire, now on Blu-ray, courtesy of the Criterion Channel. Yes, I have my Chateau Mermont 1978, and I'm watching the classic Peeping Tom, much maligned at its time, but now really becomes a case of one man's obsession. It's quite good. Before we alienate a potential sponsor, (laughs) uh, (laughs) any final thoughts on The Seven Seal, Adam? I I mean, it's just a fantastic movie. It's perfectly crafted all the way around. There's not one part of this movie where I'm like, well, this looks old or cheap or cheesy. And especially because this is an old movie and it was done on the super cheap. It, It looks fantastic like i said this could be a fucking a24 robert eggers movie tomorrow and you'd buy it for what it is you'd be like oh that fucking robert eggers does it again it's just a fantastic would i give this like a a five no i don't think so just because it it is depressing and it it is things but i i mean it's a four out of five man it's one of the better ones we've done for the show I think, and I just, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it, especially if you, like I said, you can come at it from so many different angles. You can watch it as a cinema lover. You can watch it as a sort of character piece lover. You can watch it as a macabre type of film lover. You can, I mean, there's so many different ways you can approach this, and I don't see many uh, people being disappointed with whatever way they look at it. No, yeah, it, it's definitely, it's a classic cinema for a reason. Mainly, I would have shared sort of similar views. Maybe it was affected a bit by watching The Virgin Spring first and just being so enraptured in it in such a, I, I really love that movie. Uh, but with, um, you know, this one, it definitely, like, the, the combination of the two at the same time do make me realize, like, you know what, Ingmar Bergman isn't as, like, impenetrable as I thought he was. You know, the only real impenetrableness of it, to quote Bong Joon-ho, is the one-inch barrier, just the subtitles, but I'm able to get over that. Uh, because I can read some of you out there. <laughs> Savages. Learn the king's English. Good lord. <laughs> um, but I really did enjoy this as well. There, there's so much influence you can grab off of it, but also even on its own terms, as this in- interesting sort of look at humanism and indictment of religion and all this other stuff. It's a really compelling watch. I definitely recommend anybody out there, especially if you have sort of these trepidations we're talking about, about watching like a, a foreign film, black and white, Swedish, all this other stuff. I think embracing this will let you embrace not just this particular movie but the wider range that cinema has to offer but uh we gotta get to another groundbreaking cinematic achievement but first here is an ad for an ESO show you could listen to right after hours claire here with a special announcement contrary to popular belief i didn't cancel dr geek's laboratory it fell into development purgatory thanks to MacGuffinite crystals or some such science from fiction nonsense i've put an end to that I locked all the staff inside the laboratory for the duration of the crisis. Now they can create 24-7 without petty distractions like home lives or free will. Look for new Dr. Geek episodes coming soon. The gay dynamics last up against the wall when the robots rise. Alright, now we're here to talk about our bad feature, Judge Dredd. When there is crime in society, there is no justice. Turn on your weapons and prepare to be judged! Judge this! 
You were my finest student. I am the law! I am the law! Who says politics is boring? So, Judge Dredd came out uh, June 30th, 1995. Um, it is a film based on the popular comic book character from, what was it, Comics AD? Or what was Yes, it? yes. It was a um, European, mostly London-based uh, publishing company. Did you know that? He's not, he's not technically an American-born comic hero. I'm surprised you don't know that. Read a goddamn book. <laughs> I, I was aware of that, especially mostly knowing more from the 2012 film Dread. Um, that, that had a very British crew, a lot like even Alex Garland, who was a British guy, um, wrote that and secretly directed it from what I heard. Um, but I had never seen this particular film. This was sort of the original adaptation that a lot of fans of the character really derided at the time because it breaks a lot of those rules of the character and also it kind of becomes less of the verhoven satire that I think it kind of wants to be at points and is oh, much yeah. more of like a very mid-90s pop future movie that feels so heavily inspired by like all the way down the line like a Batman or uh -huh. like this, this is such like the dregs of Batman like it's in that period before like Batman Robin killed it for like those kind of comic book adaptations, but it's near the end and you can tell. <laughs> oh yeah. It, like you said, it wants to be like a Verhoeven total recall slash fucking Robocop with elements of Blade Runner. But yet they're just like, yeah, let's get all that with the set design and the ideas and everything. But let's just make like Johnny mnemonic with Sylvester Stallone. Let's just fuck it all up. They really commit to it too. Like they, they commit to almost every idea they have and it pretty much, all falls flat. I'd argue other than th the makeup design in this is actually really good, especially with like the, uh, the inbred hillbilly guys. Yes. They, they look fucking fantastic. The makeup design, the practical effects of the giant robot is fucking awesome. Right. And Armando Sante is literally just fucking chewing and swallowing every bit of fucking frame he's in. He's really going for it. It does kind and, of like the film is trying to build more and more elaborate set design because they're trying to keep up with Amanda Santa eating it all. I, I think so. Like, holy shit, we gotta upstage this guy. Uh, hillbillies! Inbred hillbillies! And you can <laughs> tell... And you can also tell that uh, Sylvester Stallone kind of saw what Amar Sante was doing and kind of tried to reach those levels at points <laughs> where he screamed like, just like oh, it's right! The evidence was falsified! <laughs> that, that whole bit at the trial. Um, but I think I would say that the Verhoeven satire stuff does kind of hit, I would say, for the first, like, ten minutes of this movie. Like, when they're having the opening bit, where Rob Schneider, who we'll get oh, to... Oh, for fuck's sake. We'll get to. Um, oh. When he's first, like, brought into, like, the Mega City 1, or whatever it's called, and then he's led to his apartment where there's, like, a big raid going on, and he ends up, like, in his apartment where there's a bunch of, like, thugs that are there shooting up the place, and the main one is James Remar, which of is course. interesting. Of yes. course. But, like, that whole sequence I thought was, like, the point where, like, I was watching this, I'm like, oh, okay, you know what, this is kind of fun. You know, it's not on um, level with Verhoeven, but it's, like, for B-level Verhoeven, I'm like, okay, this could be fun. It's really when, and I'm not, it's not just because, like, I never read the comics, but when sure, sure. Stallone does take off his helmet, it's not a case of, like, oh, they betrayed the character for me as much as, oh, they 
turn this into officially now it's a Stallone movie. It's no longer a Judge Dredd movie. A thousand percent. A thousand, thousand and ten percent. It becomes a Stallone sort of vanity thing. I'm not going to wear a helmet. I mean, people got to see me. I will wear that golden cod piece that Versace designed. Which, by the way, Versace, Gianni Versace, designed the costumes in this movie, which is amazing. But, I mean, to be honest, though, they're not that bad. No, I like the costumes. The costumes are actually pretty decent. I mean, they're fucking skin tight, but they're they're pretty decent. Well, and, and also very broad-shouldered and kind of fit sort of the aesthetic. Well, I love the shoulder short. pieces and everything. I love the pauldrons yeah, yeah. and all that. I mean, I think it all works actually really well. Yeah. Uh, and it, it does sort of resemble the early iterations of the character, too. I mean, he had big, giant, stupid shoulder pads and shit. Well, and even just looking at Stallone's chin, he looks perfect for the part. Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know if I'd shit on as much if we didn't get just the infinitely better version, you know, a couple years ago. It's not that he just takes off the helmet. It's that he becomes sort of comedic relief in certain scenes, too. Where it's like, oh, I don't understand what you're talking about. I'm all business. I guess I'm going to let loose. Well, then there's also a lot of moments where, like, with Schneider, where it's, like, very sitcom like, there's a point when, like, they fall, it's just like, oh, I'm alive, and then Stallone falls, like, oh, you're still alive, too. And they pause. They have to pause so, like, all the laughs that are coming. Oh, yeah, exactly, because, you know, the theater was just in stitches. And then, like, the will there, won't they, with Diane Lane's character, you're like, I don't give a fuck. No, I think that's like, the thing, is this movie's bookended with fun bits that don't fit together. Like, I like that opening as, like, a Verhoeven-style thing. And then the ending is just fucking silly in the best way. Like, the whole climax where it's Armando Sante versus Stallone is silly 90s action in a way that I think is fun. It's just a shame that in between them there's a lot of bullshit that I don't really enjoy at all. And a lot of wasted, like, top-tier, you know, European actors. At least two of them. Like, Max von Sydow, thousand percent wasted in this. Jurgen Prock now? I mean, come on. Although I will say he's really hamming it up and going for it too. I really oh, no, like yeah, that. Yeah, it's guy. just like oh, the sentence is life imprisonment. <laughs> like he goes. I, really I cool. love that fucking guy. He's so over the top. He's like a he's like a uh, less handsome Udo Kier. Like if Udo Kier had cute little pot marks, that'd be Jurgen Prock now. That, that, that's true. But even like with the seed out, we should definitely talk about here. He plays a supporting role as sort of like the head judge. He was Dredd's mentor, maybe father figure. When he was in a coming way. up in the academy, they mentioned that like you were at the top of my class and you're great and I love you so much and you're totally not my clone son. Wink, wink, wink. And by the way, I'm going to call you by Joseph the whole time, which you've never had a first name in the comics. Oh, and, b- and by the way, like another side effect of having Max von Sydow within the reveal that like oh, Amanda Sante and Sylvester Stallone are like the clone sons of Foncito, they both have these blue contacts that oh are my God. so distressing. But Stallone's look worse than Asante's, honestly. I mean, I think it's because, like, with Asante, we're not... You're not familiar right. with him. Yeah, that makes sense. Exactly. No, Stallone always had these, like, brown, big eyes, and especially, like, he's a guy who plays with his eyes so much. In his best films, he plays so much with the eyes. And mm-hmm. especially watching it this time where, like, they're emphasizing on it just because, like, you get it. You get the, right. like a there's thing. something wrong here. There's something wrong here. Yeah, but, but like looking at it, it, it feels less like oh, the brown puppy dog eyes of Stallone, and more just like this is like an inhuman monster. I, yeah, I don't like this. What the I don't fuck like this. is this? <laughs> that thing in there? That's not the Stallone. That's not the Stallone I know. <laughs> but no, the Judge Rico. I mean, it's just Joan Chen for no reason. 
Yeah, very weird. Because this is one of like the few movies she did after Twin Peaks and then disappeared off the face of the earth. Yeah, for no reason. She's in this. It's a shit film. Like, it, it's really bad. It, it's trying, like we said, really hard to be this Verhoeven sort of anti-establishment, anti-media, anti-all-this-shit sort of propaganda film. And then they mix in, like, where he basically lives in, where Blade Runner takes place. But it, it's just, none of it lands, dude. None of it lands. It's just such a cobbled mess. And like like you said, the first 10 minutes, I'll give it the first 10 minutes until... It's not even when he takes off the helmet, because I was already done before he took off the helmet. When him and Rob Schneider get face-to-face, that's when I'm done. I need to say that. I'm like, okay. And he repeats Um, that line incessantly. Oh, incessantly. And so you're telling me... Even the scene where, you know, these judges are like the be all end all. Like they'll they can fucking shoot you legally and, and that's it. Like they're they they are the law, which they have said also incessantly. It never works. It never fucking works. And he did they put him on fucking like platform boots or what? Because he's like six foot three in this movie. And or even just on a box for certain scenes. <laughs> I love the idea of thinking of Stallone standing on an apple crate, you know, trying to act tough to guys who are taller than him. It just, that cracks me up so much. Yeah, hold on. Oh, man, you know, after the scene, I'm getting a little hungry. You got some, like, uh, apple slices or a juice box? Or, uh, you know, I'm still hitting my uh, growth spurts. I got to go play a uh, stickball. <laughs> with little Joe down the street, you know. He's got a bum leg, but he's a good kid. I, I do agree with you. This was the start of the decline of the early comic book movies. Like, there was this. What, what, I mean, the Shadow, the Phantom. Yeah, yeah this is all around you know, that era. Yeah. Right there in that era. And this was like a big, big budget Sylvester Stallone movie. And it just died a horrible critically death. I mean, it was, this movie is just, there's nobody. I'm not, well, no, I take that back. There are defenders of this movie. I mean, but I, I would also say I don't even hate it, though. I don't think I hate it. I just think it's ultimately forgettable. Well, I think the, the thing is, when you mentioned Dread, I was like, having seen that movie first, like, I would probably be more, have more issue with it. If like, oh, this is like the only Judge Dread movie we ever got. And it was, like, a really lame one. I think that's probably why it had so much of a rough patch for so long. I think now knowing that, like, Dread exists and it's great and we love Dread, um, this is more just, like, it's a quaint artifact of another time. (laughs) Just like, oh, that's adorable, Sly. Oh, dude, I mean, I'll be honest, out of those three I just mentioned, the Shadow, the Phantom, and this, I'll watch this over those two any day. No, because there's also, like, a lot of fun bits. Armando Sante. Oh, he's fantastic. This is my absolute favorite, Armando Sante. He's so over the top. Right from when his, like, warden buddy tries to encounter him, like, in his intro scene, Hannibal Lectoring it up to a million. Or the bit where he goes to the uh, fucking pawn shop and they're like, hey, you can't touch that. That's for judges only. Your hand will explode. And he's like, oh, look at that. It seems I'm a judge. (laughs) And the shit that takes his cigar. Um, (laughs) The thing is, yeah, he's completely unhinged. Like, you feel like you did a bump of coke before every scene. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's just like, all right, okay, yeah. Oh, oh, I'm good to go. Oh. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> but I guess to, to get back to our man of the hour, this is definitely, like, a prime example of what, like, Von Cito, as a working consummate actor for as long as he was, 70 years, uh, he took plenty of paychecks. This was definitely one of them. Um, but you oh, get sure. why someone would, like, be enticed to do so. Because he just has, like, that sort of thing we were mentioning, that authority 
that really sells the idea of like this fucking stupid judge counselor mm-hmm. whatever he is a perfect way of like oh how do we sell the authority of this judge thing max Fonsi is the main one sure oh i i completely agree and the thing is dude you gotta figure was it a paycheck movie i mean i'm assuming it was but i guarantee you he did not think it was gonna fail i'd argue if he knew how terrible the end product would be maybe he wouldn't have done it but i mean this was a big big budget movie i mean the, i remember the advertising for this was out of control and yeah like you say it, you, they wrote the part for him basically, or a Max von Sydow type. So yeah, fuck it, take it. He probably got a cool fucking 500k to a million dollars to do it. I would do it too. I agree that he does never feel like it's like just back-breaking labor necessarily. Like he's doing like, just like, I'll do the best I can possibly with this. Mm-hmm. Like even in the dumbass exposition death scene for his character, it's so dumb. It's such oh, a stupid it's fucking so bit. so bad. But this movie, he is still selling it just like, ah, oh, these are my last words and I have so much regret about abandoning my clone baby sons. Oh, Oh, I can't believe I did this. Um, and so he, he really tries to at least sell the emotion, even though it's it's so fucking stupid. And keep in mind, this is after he was stabbed by the guy you're talking about, the one of the hillbilly sons, who has, like, metal points on his face and shit. Mm-hmm. He's just like, hey, Paul, let me kill him. And then it gets to, oh, I'm so sorry, son. Oh, oh, that's <laughs> oh, <laughs> This is not the worst movie as far as that sort of like emotional manipulation that I've seen in the last couple days. Like, and then like you said, the hillbilly guy with the metal plate, you know, let me kill him, Paul. And he's got that stupid dial that makes him crazy. <laughs> it's just like perfect thing you need. <laughs> just like, Hmm, I need the crazy dial. Of course. That's yeah, essential. Hmm, my giant one armed psycho half robot son. But honestly, like the biggest thing that offends me in this and we've skirted over him, but I fucking loathe Rob Schneider in this movie. No, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Off mic, you were like, Deuce Bigelow, European Gigolo is my favorite movie. Uh, I prefer the original Deuce Bigelow. I think that's a classic film. They tarnished it with that awful sequel. Uh, The sequel, he goes to Europe. Have some culture, you swine. If if anything, it depletes the value of Europe just by him being there. I'd argue that would be Eddie fucking Griffin. Um, (laughs) How dare you besmirch the auteur legend of Eddie Griffin? (laughs) Or as I call, The Griff. Um, but no, I, but I think this is my least favorite performance of his in a non-Happy Madison movie. Uh, yeah, I guess so. You know, well, how many non-performances in a Happy Madison movie have you seen? Because I, mean, I haven't seen Well, them. around this time, he was doing that. Like, he was even in Demolition Man previously, which he's in a smaller role, and he's fine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he's fine in that bit part yeah. right. where he's supposed to be this fucking silly, vanilla, out-of-touch cop. Right. But you put him in this, and you, you, you're banking so much on his on his comedy chops, right? Because Stallone, like this, was a famous example of like Stallone completely warping the script and production. And the director Danny Cannon has said many times, "It's like, oh, I never wanted to work with another big star again." But but you can tell that uh, Stallone like was so like, oh, hey, this guy's really funny and fucking Demolition oh, dude, Man. I gotta for bring him back. Oh, for sure, and make him like the biggest possible comedy. Oh, he's incessantly like a bad used car salesman, just like, oh, I can't believe this happening. Hey, what's going on here? Look at over that. Dread, what are we doing? You made me, uh, you know, spit uh, my, my marinara sauce out of my mouth. You know, he's a, he's a funny guy. You know? yeah, he's, I, he's, I, know. I, love, I love work with Sly. He's so great. I just love him. Oh, yeah. I just love doing this. Sure, so sure. Making copies. Plus, plus, you know, he makes me look really tall. <laughs> you know, that's probably half the reason why. I guarantee it. That's I guarantee it. Like, you're kind of funny and you're shorter than me. You're high. <laughs> He's like the thing at Popstar, his like his quarter height stand in. <laughs> hey Danny, I wanna put Rob in like every scene. 
every movie I'm in, you know, dress him up as every other character too. <laughs> I'm gonna make him Mickey now that Burgess ain't doing movies no more. <laughs> it's just you know, you're hundred percent right. You know, he takes oh it needs to be funnier, it needs to be funnier. So you get this fucking just a hack of a com- comedian. I mean, he's just not a funny guy. Hey, 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 he's also an anti-vaxxer. Get it right. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, and his daughter won't talk to him. He's just not funny. I know comedy's subjective, but, like, you'll see him even in, like, interviews and stuff where, where he was on, like, Conan O'Brien with all the other guys from Grown Ups. And I hate David Spade, but David Spade was fucking making me laugh more than Rob Schneider. Oh, David Spade has made me laugh at least a couple times. He was fucking Cusco. What's Rob Schneider been? He hasn't been Cusco. Let's be honest. Again, it's a jumbled mess of a movie. They they have so many ideas that they want to sort of either homage or straight up rip off. And they don't fully commit to doing any of them. No, especially like the big one I wish they had done was apparently a big part of the climax that was cut was it was going to involve like the clones actually coming out and... Mm-hmm. Actually, Stallone like having to face off against them, which would have been sure fucking have. bonkers and fun. Well, yeah. They, well, they fucking build it up the whole time. Yeah. Like the one opens his eyes and shit. You're like, oh, dude, he's about to have to fight an army of these half baked clones. Nothing. They do nothing with it. No, they, it's a very awkward cut where it's just like, oh, they're rising. Oh, it's short circuiting. Everyone's dying. <laughs> just a very awkward cut. I don't know if that was a budget call or a time restraint call or whatever well, it was. Because but. they apparently did that, and even like there's like still for production stills of him fighting these clones, so they at least filmed it. Why wouldn't they have used it? That doesn't make any sense. It, it, it feels also kind of like, a, oh man, this is like a big disaster, let's cut it down to like 96 minutes, because that's another thing, it's very brief. Oh, that's probably exactly the case. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's... So this is your first time seeing this version of Judge Dredd. Yeah, the, the first one yeah. I ever saw was Dread, which is still like, we can't emphasize enough. We'll probably cover it on the show at some point. Yeah, but I mean, it, it's the raid with the superhero, so I mean, it, it's awesome. And Carl Urban is like the perfect fucking choice for that. Fucking, I love that guy. I wish he was Batman. Anyways, uh, <laughs> I chose this for my bad choice because it, it was kind of hard for me to pick a leading role film of Max von Sydow to be like, oh, that's a bad one. Right. At least out of the ones I've seen. So I'm like, all right, I got to pick something. This is universally known as a bad film. But Max von Sydow being in it, I don't think helps or hinders the movie in any way. Right. It, it's, but it's also it's a perfect example of what he was doing around. This is what he was doing for like literally about 20 years. Yeah. He was just popping up in these sort of authoritarian roles. And he'd be in it for 25 minutes. And then that was it. You know, I think this was post- Needful Things. Right. Uh, which I don't know if you ever seen Needful Things. Not the greatest movie, but he's fucking fantastic in it. That's what I've universally heard is that he's one of the best portrayals of the devil in that particular movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a, it's a strong Ed Harris, too, because Ed Harris is, you know, really good. But so when I had seen that, because I saw that, I think, right when it came out and I was really young and it, it fucking scared the shit out of me. And he was great. So I was like, oh, my God, Max von Sydow. You know, I know him. from Con- Max the King from Conan. Oh, my God. So then when I heard he was going to be in this, because he was in a lot of the marketing, too. You know, Sylvester Sloan, Max von Sydow, Rob Schneider. Derp to Dread. Yeah, Rob Schneider is Derp to Dread. So when I saw it, and then he's basically given, like, it's got to be, what, 15 minutes of screen time at best? And it's very, it's like very much segmented. He's alive. 
He protests. He dies. You're like, oh, fuck. (laughs) All right. What I'm getting at is I definitely think that this is the first case of a movie I saw where I realized there was such a thing as a paycheck role. Where I realized, like, good actors will just take whatever is thrown at them just to make either a couple bucks or it's – and I also realized just how easy it is to waste the potential of another actor. Because this came out, what, 95, right? 95, yes. I was 12. So, I mean, I, I it's probably not the first it, first case that I've seen of it. I'm sure there were hundreds of movies before this that I saw where it's like it was paycheck rolls. But this is one of the first times where I remember thinking, he he's better than this. Mom, I, I think he's better than this movie. Hey, Mom. Um, <laughs> two things. One is sometimes when I sit down on the toilet too fast, it feels good. And another is, why are they doing this to Max von Sydow? Well, but at the same time, I think we mentioned a bunch of other movies where he probably has less screen time and they utilize it perfectly. Like Conan, it's maybe oh, sure. like a minute of screen time in Conan. I but think he makes yeah, about a such, minute, minute and he, he makes such a massive impression with, like, I, I mentioned, like, what arrogance, what strength, I salute you. All this other stuff, like, that speech he gives is, like, so empowering. And you're just like, oh my god, I gotta pay attention. And then he's off the movie, but he makes such, it, he's even, like, in now throughout that whole trailer for Conan. Have you ever seen the trailer? His speech is, like, throughout that movie trailer he's only fucking a minute of the movie (laughs) yep but sylvester stallone we've done our sylvester stallone episode previously we have this is definitely feels like one that came in the wake of like tango and cash oh yeah i mean it's what five years post i think about five six years post yeah and he had done like a bunch of similar vehicles some of which are better than others um but they felt very samey of this particular thing this is a very much a time where like director no longer was on tour but the action star was yes and i think you might have hit it on the head and and i never even thought of it this way but he's sort of overexerting in a way to where you're like this is even for bad stallone like this is different and i think you're right i think he was trying to come up to asante and the source materials level and it just doesn't work Right, because that's the thing at least is compelling about Stone, even in some of his worst films, is that he has at least this ambition mm-hmm. that might be completely ill-aimed, but at the same time he has this clear like path, like, I want to do this. I like know exactly what my vision is. Fuck the director, fuck the script, fuck everything else. This is what we need to do. And uh, that can result in many bad films, but I think that at least earnestness makes this a curious failure, if not like a, you know, a horrible one that he's done <laughs> other cases of. Yeah, I agree. But I think it's time uh, we kind of get into final thoughts then. So any final thoughts then on Judge Dredd, Adam? I mean, if I'm judging this against Mac, of like uh, against the Max von Sydow, against the topic, then it's kind of like, yeah, uh, you can't really uh, judge it for that because he's barely fucking in it and he's serviceable. It might plead not guilty, but you will say otherwise because you know it would say that. <laughs> right, yes. No, if I, I do say that, but if I judge it against a movie as a whole, like I said, I'd put it right in there with the Shadow, the Phantom, all those really piss poor comp movies that were coming out at the time. Uh, is it the worst of the bunch? No. Is it the worst of Stone Stallone's career? No. Uh, visually, it's pretty exciting. There's good practical effects. There's good creature effects, but it just feels like, you know. You take the leftover ingredients you got in the fridge and just throw them all in a bowl and throw it in the microwave and hope for the best. It is what it is. It's a time capsule of a movie. 
I mean, this is a movie straight from the mid '90s. There's no question from a major studio that cost oh, somewhere yeah. north of like fifty, oh, sixty million dollars. No idea, had no inclination of trying even attempting to understand the source material, right? Or even staying consistent with its vision. Because uh, from what all the research I've done, there was like, a lot more gore. Like even the Jurgen Prochnow's death scene was supposed to include like, oh, you were going to see his arms and legs get ripped off, right? Which they should have just done. But you should have just fucking done, yeah, especially even just at this time. But it. it also feels like it's kind of at the start of sort of like the, ooh, R rated doesn't sell nearly as well. With an well yeah, because they wanted kids. Well, they wanted yeah. kids. It's a superhero movie. It's based on a comic book, so it's for kids. No, it's not. This is a very extremely mature comic book. You've seen how many Burger King glasses Batman Forever selling? We got to sell that shit. Yep. A, a thousand percent. And that was the goal. And it just failed. Yeah. So it failed. Yes, I, I agree. I judge it as uh, guilty. I sentence it to walk the earth for eternity. Um, but at the same time, it didn't like really offend me necessarily. I got at least a few unintentional chuckles. No intentional ones, but definitely a lot of unintentional chuckles. I like an Armand Desante or some of the things like St- Stallone's over-the-top-isms that pop up here and there. Um, or even, while admiring even certain elements like the production design, the costume design, you mentioned it earlier, but that animatronic robots really fucking dope fucking awesome it it looks almost like if uh, a fucking animatronic from a disneyland ride escaped Mm because it has that kind of moving structure jerky movement and everything and even the design of it looks almost more cartoonish but in Mm -hmm. a way that's still intimidating at the Mm -hmm. same time i i really dig that particular part too so like it's it's definitely one of the more watchable bad movies we've watched for the show and nothing else it definitely feels like when i would have watched on cable would have thought that was not good but not unwatchable, and then forgotten about until, like, you brought it up for the show. Like, oh, yeah, Judge Dredd. Like, if I had seen this as a kid, that's totally the movie it would have been. Right. Yes, but that is the end of our discussion of our two films from Max Foncito's illustrious filmography, and uh, we're going to do some picking for next week's show. But before we do that, we have uh, some feedback to read, because every Monday at DEDB Pod, we share some kind of feedback request thing for, like, hey, what are your favorite, least favorite films related to whatever topic we're doing. And so uh, we had a couple people responding about Max Foncito, like James Rodriguez, who says, uh, between the haunting masterpiece of The Seventh Seal and the horrific The Virgin Spring, Cito did exceptional work when paired with Ingmar Bergman, not to mention his tremendous role in The Exorcist, but I do wish he was more than a glorified cameo in Star Wars The Force Awakens. Do you know the story of who that was supposed to be originally? Fucking no idea. What a waste but please, who was it supposed to be originally? Wedge Antilles. Oh, see, that makes sense. That would have totally made sense. But, like, the actor was just like, I don't want to take the small role and get killed off. That feels beneath me. In Rise of Skywalker, he's in it for one quick 30, not even 33 seconds. Uh, n- nice job, Lando. Oh, my God. That would have been so much better. Right, it makes so much sense uh, for, like, that particular part in the beginning of Force Awakens to be someone we somewhat know, at least. Like, the Rise of Skywalker is in fan service. That was not the point. That would have been so cool, man. See, I didn't know that. That would have been way more sense and actually been a really cool, non-in-your-face throwback to the fans. Right, and also a great passing the torch moment, because, like, here, I'm literally yeah. handing this off to you, new character. New pilot. Yeah. Right. Yes, oh, exactly. God damn it. <laughs> um, but, I mean, like, we, we mentioned, obviously, Virgin Spring and Seven Seal, sure. though, The Exorcist, we sh- should probably emphasize more on. Yes, and the thing is, The Exorcist is one that... I definitely do want to talk about in length, but not in the feedback section because I got a lot to say and I want to save it. He's iconic. 
and also especially considering how much of the movie he just spends standing around looking at things. How much like, of the movie he's in, as we just talked about. He's only in Exorcist for 25 minutes. No, that's true, but and they spaced out, they pulled the Beetlejuice effect. Yeah. He's spread throughout enough so that it really works. But like I said, mm-hmm. even in that limited amount of time, he is mostly just like staring, staring, Pazuzu staring. Right. But the, but the emotion he's able to put behind his eyes and his or even just his eyebrows, which we notice he moves them a lot. I mean, he's just he's a he was a master of his craft. Yes, um, and then also um, another feedback from Brian Kane says, uh, "Three Days of the Condor is a favorite of mine. I have preferred his roles when he acts more with his eyes. Uh, his of which were among the most expressive in the business, which is different. I really wanted to see Three Days of the Condor. That was one I contemplated doing as a good pick." For this, I've heard very good things. I've never seen it. Same here. I've never seen it. I've heard great things, but yeah, yes. I've never seen it. So maybe, uh, maybe we'll uh, visit that one. Maybe it's a it's a back pocket one for sure. Um, but what are some other maybe ones we haven't mentioned, Adam, that you would like to put out there and recommend to people? Man, you know the thing is, like I was telling you earlier, it, it, it's he's he has such a huge filmography. He and you even put it best where you can track the his, history and ebbs and flows of cinema if you go by Max von Sydow's career, which is insane when you think about it. That's how much he's done. That's important. Uh, but, I mean, of course, we talked about Shutter Island before. He's fantastic at Shutter Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Flash Gordon is Ming. He's whole, he's so fun. And I'd argue Flash Gordon is still one of the campiest, most fun movies you can watch. Yes. Uh, Minority Report, you mentioned, I absolutely love. That's one of my favorite, uh, like, I don't want to call them modern, but sci-fi movies of the last, I guess so, I guess. Yeah, fuck me. Modern sci-fi movies. Well, definitely of the last sort of uh, 20 or so years of Spielberg's career, it's one of the better examples of him going back to sort of Mm -hmm. action stuff after doing a lot of prestige. It's like that one and Tintin, War of the Worlds to a certain extent. I love Tintin. Yeah, yeah. Excellent, Tintin. And even though I absolutely fucking hate the lead actor, uh, Dreamscape, I think, is a really fun movie. You would also have a soft spot for it in terms of that's also the point where your your boys cross paths, because Christopher Plummer's also in that film. Yeah, God. Fucking, I love him so much. <laughs> like, even at would... his age now, even at his age now, with his, his dead-ass dick. <laughs> <laughs> Why you gotta do Christopher like that? I mean, come on, let's just be honest. But if he asked me to go to him, I would go to him. Christopher Plummer, big fan of the show. Come on. We loved you in Knives Out. You're still great. I did want to mention, in terms of like some underrated ones of his, it's a very silly movie, but it's another one where he brings the gravitas and that makes it all the funnier. Strange Brew is a very fun movie. Oh, and he's God, a, I always forget he's in there. He's such a great villain. And especially because, yeah. like, the whole appeal of that particular movie is that it's, like, the a weird version of the Hamlet story, and he's sort of playing the Claudius, and he commits to it like it is a fucking Royal Shakespeare production <laughs> of Hamlet. Oh, yeah, he's all aboard. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so fucking funny where he's just like, oh, I will destroy these people who are trying to destroy my Canadian brewing company. These two vagabonds and Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas fucking dopey as fuck. It's so fucking funny. It's a very enjoyable little movie. Um, and we mentioned, like, Conan, obviously. Um, and you know what? Just another one. Like, I, this is an awkward subject just because of who made this movie, but it's a bummer. It's one of my favorite movies of all time, and it's a bummer that he made it. Um, Hannah and Her Sisters, 
he is uh, von Cito is so phenomenal and what works so well in that movie is that it's a movie full of like oh like either british or american actors who all seem like they totally fit into the you know prism of like woody allen new york and von Cito fits perfectly in there as well he's just like one of many examples like just perfectly going along with this like very clear like dialogue driven like pitter patter and he works so perfectly in there um i just fucking hate that movie's directed by a piece of shit and stars a piece I of fucking, shit. dude I, I know i know because i love that I, fucking movie so much i know i almost wanted to bring that up too uh if if i already got the goods that have been on one of mine unfortunately because it is that good but yeah i mean fuck son of a bitch <laughs> also another uh, thing too uh probably the less known of i want to say the three maybe four actors who played blowfield in yes and Bond never movies. say never again right in the unofficial one especially yep, yeah never say never again yeah i hear the most famous is probably uh donald pleasant's as far as most recognizable, then Telly Savalas would be the second one. Yeah, well, I, I I still maintain that like I think Pleasance is the iconic portrayal, but I think Telly Savalas is the underrated MVP. Yeah, um, for so. sure. And no, and no offense, also to No Neck from Rocky Horror Picture Show, who did that in Diamonds Are Forever. But well, yeah, right, of course, who was fine. Uh, um, and then the less said about Kristoff, the better. Fuck's sake. <laughs> but no, yeah, he he's fine in what is also I. That might be my one of my least favorite Bond movies. Is never say never again. Oh no, it's it's the worst. I and I don't like Thunderball that much. I'm like, if you want to remake one, remake Thunderball. I think that I one's a bore. Agree. I completely agree with you. Yeah, but and they did a worse version of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like Sean Connery with his graying toupee. <laughs> yeah, that's still just the Mac non chicks. Like, it doesn't work. This is before he just went full on, like, fuck it. We're, we're going um, into, like, the untouchables on balding and graying. But I'm still sexier. Right, exactly. Hello, hot shingles, you say. Mm. <laughs> this fucking guy. Uh, but 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 anyway, anyway, thank you for all that feedback. And we also want to thank uh, some people like Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at uh, chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarda for the art for our show. And uh, you can find us at DEDBpod on Twitter and Facebook, or you can email us stuff on doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out, which would include like our Monday feelers for like feedback. But also, uh, we want to definitely put it out there around the time that this is posting either like the day before day after i would have posted up something on both those pages uh where um we need your help ladies and gentlemen not just with feedback if you're a fan of the show you know that we like to usually do um topics that are topical especially to like films that are coming out and and, and in the case of covid19 hysteria um not a lot of films are coming out yeah, that kind of that kind of that kind of uh, threw a wrench in our old gears. Like full disclosure, we were going to do a Fast and the Furious episode that we we're going to bring on a guest we love, and we were so yeah, anticipating uh, doing that episode, and then that got moved. So we're like, oh, that's a bummer, and that's only going to get year. worse. For a fucking year. For, uh, yeah, that's true. Not till April 2nd of 2021. Our schedule is drying up, as it were, constantly. Um, even though, you know, certain th- movies are being put out on VOD, which is a very interesting and dark prospect for the theatrical distribution market. <laughs> that, like, you can watch The Hunt now on VOD gonna, or whatever. I, I just feel like it's going to go that way eventually anyways. Oh, no, and but this is, like, speeding it up even further. Yeah, like, I anticipated really that happening, like, in ten years as opposed to... Maybe a year. Ten weeks. Ten weeks. That's true. But point is, um, the topics we were going to do are kind of like being shuffled around a bit, and we're, we're doing our best to kind of fill slots in, but we could always use some help, especially because this is, a, if nothing else, a litmus test to ask, hey, out there in the double-edged double-bill listening community, what do you want to hear us talk about 
um, do you want us to maybe reprise the topic, or do you have some other topic we've never done before that we would definitely uh, want to hear us talk about a good and a bad feature for? We would love to hear if it's like maybe a franchise we haven't covered, or an yeah. actor, or a director. Make it as fucking random as you want. Make it a weird subgenre that we would have never thought of. Exactly, I'm right. I'm fine with that. Let's do it. Yes, and we would definitely appreciate those suggestions either to our Twitter or our Facebook or even emailing them to us. And if nothing else, um, we only have one rule stipulation about it. If it's a topic we've done twice before, we're probably not going to do it. Because we like the idea of at least doing a topic again, just because of the nature of our show, where we can switch up on the quality we did previously. So, for example, like Marvel movies, we've done that twice. We're probably not going to do right. it again. Westerns, we've... Done once. Yeah, Westerns be a good one. Uh, what what else have we done twice? Uh, fantasy uh, we've done twice, we've right? We've done Fantasy twice. We've done DC yeah. twice, obviously. Twice, yeah. Please send us those suggestions. Uh, we would appreciate that. And uh, we'll definitely credit you whenever we do that particular topic. We're like, oh, this was just by a really nice fan here. Uh, blah, blah, blah. And we love you out there, blah, blah, blah. Um, and uh, you can you know, follow us on all the social platforms. But you can also follow me at Not the Who's Tommy on Twitter. And I do some writing over at MarianiThomas.wordpress.com where I do reviews and post up episodes for the show and also i write for true superhero fans.com where uh we post satirical superhero news like i love an article that just went up the other day of um yes bloodshot is being released on vod directly to your phone and you can't undownload it oh like you too yeah good (laughs) which was not written by me was one of my yeah that's that's a good uh that's a good a model to follow it's like the aquaspin deal it's a satiric superhero news site I know, shocking, it sounds so real Um, And if, uh, you know, you can also find Adam being shocked by so much obvious news Yeah, if you're out there And you want to talk And you could shoot me a Facebook message My name's Adam Thomas on Facebook Shoot me a message If you got no one to talk to Or you're feeling lonely or depressed or upset Cooped up, whatever it is Shoot me a message, I will talk to you I promise you I'll respond to you That's very nice Thomas won't He's going to be too busy making, uh, you know, chicken parmesan. Watching my criterion. <laughs> but no, shoot me a message. You know, shoot us a message. Message our uh, podcast page. That's true. We'll you can message fun. the page as well. Yeah, we, we definitely all doors are open if you are in need of a bit of just like a, you know, friendly plat, uh, patter, you know, just like back and forth. Yeah, you need some levity, man. Some escapism. We'll try. Yeah. All going through also this download together. the show. You can do yeah. that too. That'll help. We're all going through this together. Let's be in it together then. Let's face reality. We're in this together. Let's not make it worse. Yes, and you won't make it worse at all. Subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on ESO, why not uh, dig into the archives from what we posted even before we were on that network? And you can rate, review, and share the show around. It gives us more visibility and all that stuff. I love that we transitioned from that incredibly sincere message to me shilling the show. That's the entire dynamic that works. Yeah, and by the way, don't message me. I'm not going to respond. <laughs> well, after all that, Adam, it's time now to do the picking once again, which if you're new out there, basically every week, Adam and I uh, have either two good or two bad movies, um, depending on whoever has the topics, uh, good or bad for that particular week. For next week, Adam has the two good, I have the two bad. And next week, Adam, is a very monumentous occasion, because uh, this episode that we just recorded here is episode 99. So naturally, next episode, if you're somewhat good at math, is episode... 100. That's fucking crazy. I know, yeah. We started this podcast on a hope and a prayer, and uh, we at least got a prayer left. I don't know if we have much hope, but we definitely <laughs> do have at least enough to hope to do our picking for 
this very special episode, which this is a topic we've visited before, if you're maybe new, especially on the ESO show, um, about 50 episodes ago, uh, we did a thing where, you know, given the nature of our show, where we have two good and bad picks, a lot of movies get lost in the dust. So, we decided uh, back then to do a topic called Redemption, where we allow our alternative choices a chance to be a topic for an episode. And uh, so you have your two former good picks that didn't get picked, and I have my two former bad picks that have not been picked for an episode. And uh, they get a chance to be in the spotlight. Let's fucking do it, Russian roulette style. All right, all right, all right. So let's go ahead uh, with uh, your two good picks, Adam. I'm going to pick number six. At number seven, I have one that we've quite frequently, I, I want to say, either on on show or, you know, post-show talked about wanting to discuss, and it came up for the pick, but unfortunately wasn't chosen, uh, Hobo with a Shotgun. Oh, my fucking God, yes! <laughs> it's a hundredth episode miracle. I'm so yes, happy. <laughs> Um, I got which I believe was your uh, other pick for like the Rucker Hauer episode we did right? for the Rucker Hauer episode, absolutely. So, what was your other pick? My number two pick was for the animation episode. I picked Secret of Nim. Oh, that's going way back. Yeah, a very good movie as well. Yeah. Now I don't want to do this. Uh, <laughs> well, for my two bad choices, then you got to pick. All right, man. Let's just go right off numero uno. All right. Well. And number three, I had uh, as alternatives for a worst of the decade, best and worst of the decade of the 2010s, we are doing the Colin Trevorrow masterpiece, Book of Henry. Oh, for fuck's sake. I, I, oh, no. I, like, have purposely avoided watching that movie, like, forever, because I never wanted to see it. Oh, oh. It's such a fascinating bad film, though, Adam. There's so much to talk about. <laughs> okay. 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 Yeah. All right. Oh, son of a bitch. And number... No, no, hold on, hold on. Let me deal with this. Let me process this. Make you just really stew in this for a minute. Okay. And and your other choice? My other choice, at number seven, I had my alternate choice for our 1999 episode, Bicentennial Man. Oh, for fuck's sake. All right. (laughs) Oh, God. Either way, just completely fucked. Probably, yes. So uh, that'll be very interesting, Adam. Uh, We're going to celebrate our three-digit graduation there. Yeah, Henry with a shotgun. Henry with a shotgun, or or Book of Hobo. (laughs) Who knows (laughs) what I might pick for the title. You'll all find out next week. Well, on that note, Adam, um, I believe that we need to go dance on a Swedish hill out here. Uh, I mean, you can dance if you want to. Can I leave my friends behind them? Yeah. If they don't dance, they're no friends of mine. Everybody's safety dance, especially right now during these times. <laughs> that's, that's the important thing. Wash your hands and safety, safety dance. Safety dance. Okay, good night, everybody. <laughs> broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Public store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.